You know, Gibbsy, we all have our private nightmares. And one of mine is somebody comes in and says, hey, guess what? Move that piece of furniture. We're moving the apartment or whatever it might be. And next thing you know, I've got a foreign language to English dictionary on my phone. I'm fooling around with some weird metric wrench I've never seen before, trying to take this stuff apart, move it without destroying it, put it back the right way. It is a nightmare. But if you've been listening, you know there's a furniture brand that might be the solution. It's called Burrow, and it's made for moving. The good news is this is easy to assemble, and it's easy to move. So when you're trying to ditch apartments and head to your uh, undisclosed location, then <laughs> it's great. Burrow's innovative modular design and super helpful instructions make assembling and, in your case, disassembling your furniture quick and hassle-free. So when it's time to move, your Burrow furniture won't hold you back. You know, the credenza is my favorite because anybody who's taken apart, you got to move all the TVs. Then you got to find pliers to pull out those little plugs that hold the shelves. They're never done with tolerance. Next thing you know, you're on Amazon looking for a rubber hammer to try to get the damn things back in. Their credenza is perfect. It's got adjustable height interior shelves that work easily, cord organizing holes at each corner. It's fantastic. And the all new range collection of seating features wider seats and deeper cushions with that contemporary Scandinavian. Navian look. And it's easy to shop for. Spare yourself the warehouse trip and shop easily online. Everything is designed to work perfectly together in your living space, so all you got to do is add it to your cart. Plus, Burrow's world-class support team is available whenever you need a Murphy. Fast free shipping on every order saves you on average $100 on large items like a couch, which I know you love. Yeah, that sure beats going into that warehouse store of 70,000 people in it and a seven-mile walk on a concrete floor to find a table. So get into this. Right now, you can get $75 off your first order at burrow.com slash hacks. What's the magic number, Robert? That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash hacks for $75 off your Burrow purchase. Burrow.com slash hacks. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. I think she's got real problems. I, 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 I've had it with, I've had it with her. It's, you know, I, I've lost confidence. Hello, Hackaroos, and welcome to another episode of the Hacks on Tap podcast. As you just heard from Leader McCarthy, it is definitely, well, love is in the air over at the Republican House Conference. And tomorrow they're meeting. We're not sure of exactly the agenda, but a guillotine is being wheeled into the chamber in MAGA Red. We're going to talk about that, tax politics, a couple of key Senate races, what people really mean when they say things on polls with the great Robert Gibbs. Welcome, Robert. Murphy, how are you? I am good, and I'm excited because we have a repeat appearance by one of our greatest guests, the Ayatollah of modern political polas, Democratic consultant, strategist, and super pollster, old friend of the podcast, Mr. Mark Melman is here to decode all this. Mark, welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be with you, gentlemen. Oh, oh. it's great to have you here. Somebody who actually can add two plus two, unlike us political hacks. So. And get five. Right. I was going to say, we, we can't actually do a, a special that we talk about polling without having somebody who understands math. So welcome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a, Always it's a, a pleasure. <laughs> it's a new new, new angle for us. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, let, let, we might as well start. The House Republican Conference is going to have a meeting tomorrow. And the topic is uh, the one and only Liz Cheney, who is, of course, the at-large member from Wyoming and has been outspoken about the trivial matter of the insurrection on the 6th and the toxicity of Donald Trump to the party. So that is now apparently grounds for talking honestly about attempted treason is now apparently party treason. And there's going to be a move to remove her from her position as number three in the Republican leadership. Uh, it's a secret ballot, so I think there's a, a, a slim chance she might survive. But what do we think about that? And do we think anybody will care in the real world when it comes to the midterm elections? I would just say I think this is a significant and important moment for what I will call the former Republican Party, because I'm not entirely sure what it's going to coalesce around. And, and I don't want to give it what it used to be, because I, I think it's fairly important that this demonstrates 
that a deplatformed golfer in Florida has a stronger grip on the Republican Party than anybody else does. And by deplatformed golfer in Florida, I don't mean Carl from Caddyshack. I mean huh. Donald Trump. And, and, you know, it's remarkable that as he has actually played less of a role, I think, in our daily lives, partly because of that deplatforming, but he's actually strengthened his grip on the Republican Party. And now having to say the election was stolen is basically table stakes for participating in in the leadership of the Republican Party. Mark, what do you think? Yeah, I think Robert's absolutely right. A year from now, come November 2022, our voters are going to be sitting around saying, God, I hate what happened to Liz Cheney. I don't think so. On the other hand, this is a critical moment in terms of the story of the Republican Party. And the story that the Republican Party is telling the nation is that we are controlled, they are controlled by Donald Trump. And that is a bad story for the Republican Party. It's a great story for Democrats, but a bad story for the Republican Party. And that is the story that is being told and being reinforced in this moment. Yeah, look, I totally agree. I mean, one thing that's going on, you have to understand a little bit about the psychology of the the House caucus, because this is beyond even a pure Trump thing. Uh, there is a fetish in, in our caucus and may, maybe in your caucuses, too. You guys would know better than me about team and loyalty and all that. So part of what's going on is this this ostrich strategy that the leadership has, which is if we don't talk about any of these problems like Trump and the attempt to storm the Capitol, they'll go away and we can complain about AOC or do other stuff for the midterm elections. So Cheney, who many of them privately like, like less now because she keeps talking about it. So their view is she keeps stirring up the mainstream media on this. We got to make her go away and the problem will go away. That strikes me as incredibly naive and stupid. If I were a Republican candidate trying to win a suburban district or hold a suburban district to try to get to the majority next year, I would like having Liz Cheney number three. So when people ask me, well, what do you think of that Trump? We don't like him here in Bucks County or whatever. I'm going to say, well, I'm with Liz Cheney. And if you're in a hardcore red district, you could say, oh, I don't like that Liz Cheney. Having her in office is politically better. Instead, they think an issue that can't go away is going to go away. And I, I think it's incredibly stupid. Uh, but that is the real psychology in, in the caucus about e- even why some of uh, the members who who enthusiastically voted to keep her are now pivoting. They think somehow the headache will go away. And, and let me let me just do a quick sin here with an unpaid ad. But Robert brilliantly brought up Caddyshack, which made me think of my friend Brian Doyle Murray, who was the prime writer on Caddyshack. Check out WilliamMurrayGolf.com. The Murray brothers now have cool golf wear. So, Brian, there he's a listener. There's your <laughs> there's your free plug for pretty cool uh, Bill Murray and Brian Doyle Murray and other Murray brother golf wear there. Now, back to the thing. Now that you've gotten the Republican trait of capitalism into our podcast. <laughs> well, I'm hoping that uh, some will fall <laughs> off the truck for me. Yeah, let, me, uh, can, can, let me ask you a question about the Republican Party because I'm a little confused. Does anybody think about what they say or read their quotes before they put them out? Because I, I'm fascinated by the fact that it, it appears as if one of the prime offenses that Liz Cheney is making is she keeps bringing up that the election wasn't stolen. She keeps bringing she keeps bringing up the history and quite frankly, we just want to get past it. Every time Donald Trump opens his mouth, they put a microphone in front of him or seven people are on the veranda at dinner at Mar-a-Lago and want to talk to him. He brings up this he put out a statement oh, know, yesterday about some secret thing in Michigan. They're literally examining the ballots in Arizona for the existence of bamboo fibers. What on earth is going on? I mean, what, I mean, but I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Like, they can't. They they say, well, you know, we we can't have people keep bringing this up. This is all Donald Trump's ever going to want to talk about. Yeah, somebody tell Trump. <laughs> no, look, it, it's all sophism. So the Republican Party first, there are many different areas. There's McConnell world in the Senate. There's kind of chamber of commerce, business world. There's Republican rank and file primary voters that have different factions, not all of which are in love with Trump. We, we had Tony Fabrizio on and his segment analysis was, was pretty interesting about it. A majority want to move beyond him. But as you guys know, perception is reality. And in the House Republican caucus, not the Senate side quite as much, but the House, there is this feeling that Trump is the sun god. And if you cross him, you lose your primary. Now, that is an untested hypothesis. There is some 
some truth in the past about that. But we all know politics is dynamic. I'm looking forward to 2022 and we can litigate that. I think the Anthony Gonzalez's of the world are going to win against Trump-driven challengers. But no, there's no message discipline. There's just this idea if we don't talk about it, it'll go away. Liz is a traitor because she keeps bringing it up, feeding the biggest enemy the activists in the party have now, the big boogeyman. It's no longer Ted Kennedy, Fidel Castro, you know, all that stuff. It's the, quote, mainstream media. So she's a tool of the evil media that's out to get us. Therefore, if we squelch her, it goes away. Sidebar, that makes Trump happy and I don't get a primary. So a lot of these people are reluctantly voting against her. But there are a fair amount that have switched from the last time where they tried to dump her, where she easily won, because they think she's making trouble for winning the majority by bringing up these ugly topics, which is stupid because, as you say, the ugly topics are self-propelled. Mike, I think you make a really interesting point about the sociology of the caucus. You know, in a time when we are so polarized, the social pressure in these caucuses, in both caucuses, is extraordinarily strong. And the pressure to stick with the party, to stick with the leadership is really strong. And it will be interesting to see, just as you mentioned, how the secret ballot interacts with that. People do have the opportunity to actually express their view without any consequences. Nobody's going to know who voted how. Uh, And so it'll be very interesting to see whether people are more able to resist that social pressure when they have a secret ballot uh, than if they had to raise their hands and say yes or no on Liz Cheney. Totally. You know, we had the rover on last week, uh, Robert and uh, Axe did. And, you know, I I was on assignment, as we say. But he was where I was two weeks ago. The secret ballot might save her. But I've talked to a few members since then who are pro Cheney and are heartsick about this, but do think just on this party loyalty fetish and, and that kind of social glue, as you put it, um, uh, is going to do her in. You know, we're going to find out. Yeah. And I think last time she had whatever it's worth, the support of Kevin McCarthy, and now she clearly doesn't. I do think, you know, as we talked about this, I don't think this has great 2022 implications as much as it does. I think it has some larger 2024 implications because I think what it means, and I think what was interesting is one of the, the, the post had a story over the weekend about one of the things that alarmed Liz Cheney the most was they were going over polling presentations of these up for grabs congressional districts and the polling presentations omitted that Trump was deeply unpopular in these swing districts. And, and she was alarmed that there was no discussion of whether or not this was the right strategy. So, I mean, I guess I just contradicted my own point. Maybe there is some implication in 2022. I definitely think in 2024 though, I, I mean, now, Again, the minimum ante is you have to you have to speak out vociferously that the election was stolen, right? You you have to perpetuate the idea that this happened. You cannot in any way, shape, or form wiggle away from that because whether Trump is a participant in that primary and standing on the stage and calling you out, or not a participant but overseeing it as the former president, um, it seems to me like. And Mark, I'd love to get your thought on this. The suburban college-educated vote that that walked away from the Republican Party and from Donald, per, particularly because of Donald Trump, this part of this messaging is going to per, be perpetuated now through the 2024 election because Republicans are now going to have to say that. That's what Liz Cheney's demonstrated. Well, that's right, and not only do they have to say it, they have to pledge fealty to Donald Trump in every every way, every day. This is a big problem for them. Obviously, there are a majority of uh, voters in the country that voted against Donald Trump. There's a majority of congressional districts in the country that voted against Donald Trump. How are these people post-insurrection, post-Liz Cheney, how are these Republican members who survived in Biden districts going to be able to survive in a situation where they are pledging loyalty to Donald Trump, where they're talking about the fact that the people in their districts who voted uh, were were not uh, appropriately voting were not that their votes weren't properly counted. I mean, it's going to be an absurd situation uh, for these endangered Republicans, and they're going to pay a price for it, I think. You know, and, and into the election cycles, the idea that, okay, they got together, they, they rubbed red crayons on the wall, they got enough votes to get rid of Cheney from the leadership, she doesn't go away. I know the old man, I know her, they're fighters. 
And she's going to go back to Wyoming, and they're going to primary her. And I think she has a very good chance of winning. A little little footnote on the primary there, it, it's a plurality win. There's no runoff. The Trump guys tried to change the rules in Wyoming. So, you know, if five people run and the top vote getter gets 38%, it goes to a runoff where she might be more vulnerable. But they failed. So Liz Cheney can win that thing with 39% of the vote, which is about what she got in a multi-way field when she first ran. And she's going to have no shortage of help. So they've turned her into Joan of Arc here. And the thing that they're trying to make go away now gets bigger. And it also sets the narrative for the primary season next year. Because, again, you got an Anthony Gonzalez up in Mark's old stomping ground of uh, northern Ohio. You've got, um, you know, four or five other members, Newhouse, Rice, Catco, in different districts. Most of them are well entrenched. They are not so easy to just eat, knock out in a primary. So anyway, my point being that this this fight now gets bigger in the media, not smaller based on this. And do you think that Trump folks are not going to consolidate behind a single candidate in Wyoming against her? I don't think so. I You know, the great thing about Trumpy primary candidates is they they tend to all say, I'm pure, I'm pure, and that becomes the primary. And in a multi-way, I don't think, I think at least two will hang in there. So far, there's no guerrilla running, you know, who's the obvious um, uh, consolidator. They will try. Trump may only endorse one, but the whole paranoid conspiratorial nature of it kind of fosters environment where people hang around for their 12%. And you'll have a lot of independent groups making trouble. There'll be a Trump group up saying, you know, candidate bag of donuts is the only real Trump thing. You're, you're have another group up saying, no, no, the real Trump. There might even be never Trump money funding some of these. Vote for the real Trumper, you know, Zachary Zinkman. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But I, uh, I think that multi-way no runoff thing gives her a real fighting chance there. And you can't underestimate the roots particularly in small states. We've all worked in them where it's more than TV because they actually know the candidates. And the, the Cheney roots in that district go back three decades, and they're strong. I don't know if they're 50% strong, but uh, uh, we will see. And it looks like there will be at least two candidates. I mean, they, it is an unbaked cake right now, but I think she has a fighting chance, and I know she's going to fight it. And, Robert, usually the press has some difficulty covering House elections in, on a national scale. Will this primary attract tremendous press attention? Undoubtedly. First of all, the, the press loves the health of Trump stories. And I don't mean his physical health. I mean his political health. And so th- this is now sort of, if you will, the, the kind of the the center ring of uh, of watching that happen. Uh, and I think, you know, it's a it is it is an undoubtedly red state. She got 70 percent of the vote. Um, so the idea that she came out of last cycle in extraordinary political health and looked, quite frankly, decided not to run for the Senate because everyone assumed she was going to ultimately make a play to be Speaker of the House. That's all been sidelined, obviously. And so I think it will be something of great fascination. I do hope um, my only thing for reporters is actually cover it from Wyoming. Don't cover it from yeah. Wyoming <laughs> uh, Street in Washington, D.C. Uh, actually go out to the one. It's a gorgeous place, uh, but but go out there and and talk to real people and, and try to discern what's going on. I, I think it will be fascinating to watch. It just guarantees the storyline is going to be part of the national dialogue for months and months and months to come. I think regardless of what happens in this primary, I think this is a storyline and she will be the main character in that storyline through the primaries of 2024. I don't think she's going anywhere. I don't think this is not somebody (laughs) I I, I've done a few events with her. She's not a shrinking violet. Okay. This is, she's not, she's not going to take her. She's the product of Dick Cheney and Lynn Cheney. So it's like not shrinking violent, (laughs) violet to the 15th power. She, she's relishing the fight and she's equipped to fight it. And by the way, cue the Darth Vader music. Okay. Just cue the Darth Vader. music. (laughs) No, she, she's a total hero. She knows how to fight. And by the way, she will have millions and millions and right. millions of dollars to litigate this. She raised a million and a half in the first quarter, which was about five times what she'd raised in the same time period in 2019. So she gets it and and it's going to be, um, it'll be wall to wall. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. Murphy Simply Safe is an award-winning home security system. So, 
You know it's engineered with the latest technology you want to keep your family safe. But what really sets Simply Safe apart is its people, highly trained security experts who are always there for you when you need them the most. They're the people who truly care about keeping you, Murphy, and your family safe. What I love about Simply Safe is when an alarm goes off, a person who cares is there for you with a phone call to make sure you're okay. When an emergency happens, a person who cares is there for you by getting fire and police respondents to your front door right away. Even if you're only having a problem setting up your system, I won't mention names, Axelrod, a person who cares is there for you with a friendly chat and a quick resolution to get the tech all worked out. The bottom line is when you need them the most, Simply Safe is there 24-7 with people who care and experts trained to not only keep you safe, but to make you feel safe, which is a big part of it. It's one of the many reasons U.S. News recently called Simply Safe the best home security of 2021. So to learn more about Simply Safe and how it can help protect you and your family, visit simplysafe.com/hacks today to customize your system and get a free security camera. You also get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. That's simply safe, S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash hacks. We've all been having this debate and you've seen it bandied around in the press about, well, can the Republican Party grow with Donald Trump? And I thought Lindsey Graham had a very interesting point. Yeah, let, why don't we play it? I think we have the tape. Just say to my Republican colleagues, can we move forward uh, without President Trump? The answer is no. I've always liked Liz Cheney, but she's made a determination that the Republican Party can't, can't grow with President Trump. I've determined we can't grow without him. All of these people like Herschel Walker and all the people you just named are attracted to the Trump Republican Party, economic populism, uh, America first agenda. If you don't get that as a Republican, you're making the biggest mistake in the history of the Republican Party. You listen to, to Lindsay essentially say the Republican Party can't grow without Donald Trump. What is uh, what, what? I think I have a sense of where you're going to go on this, but uh, well, tell me why Lindsey Graham is wrong. Well, with all due respect to my old friend Lindsey, who used to be on the other side of a lot of these fights, we go back to the early '90s together, uh, and then you know he uh, he snuck off to a secret clinic in Switzerland and had 80 IQ points loped off, and now now here we are. Um, he's right and he's wrong. It's sophism, really. First of all. Lindsay would not know a swing state if it hit him over the head. His experience is totally in the Republican-dominated politics of the primary electorate in uh, South Carolina, which is like having an advanced degree in ancient turmeric. You know, it's, it's, it's a narrow education to the larger needs of the party. Now, th that line is premised on the idea. Where can you get that degree in ancient turmeric? What does it even mean? <laughs> turmeric you, Mark. You ought to know that. <laughs> It's no Yale, but uh, it's a Trump University. You, yeah, you get that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can do it online in one year, and they throw in free stakes. Sorry. The point is on Lindsay. What 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 that postulates? Sorry for such a long answer, but you have to kind of unpack this thing. Is if all the Trump voters don't participate, we lose. That is probably true. Though the bulk of the Trump voters had a name before Trump, Republican primary voters, and they were participating for a long time. Trump has brought some new voters in or moved them over, particularly, you know, blue collar uh, Caucasians. So Lindsay's basically saying, if you, we don't have that, we're dead. But that's like saying, if you don't have water, the planet dies. Okay. But it postulates all the water will go away, which I don't think is true. And you also need oxygen. There's more to creating a, a planet than just one thing. So he's only arguing half the deal because if we're totally defined by Trump, we don't move forward either. Trump is anthrax. I mean, we're at the point to your earlier uh, uh, very important observation, Robert. We're now hiding polling data from the Republican Congressional Committee to Republican members because they're afraid to show them how bad Trump is. Uh, that's incredibly dishonest. I ran the NRCC years and years ago as the only consultant there. And, you know, you have to manage your members, but you wouldn't hide a huge problem like that from them. It's, it's massively dishonest. So the, the point being, 
Lindsay has an easy solution that would work to hold South Carolina for 100 years. It won't win presidential elections or hold control of the Senate and eventually the House. But look, this is a real dilemma, I think, that Lindsey Graham is pointing out. Um, and what makes it a dilemma is there is no good resolution. The truth yeah. is they can't win with Trump and they can't win without him. Both those things are true at the same time, which is what makes it a terrible and unsolvable, insoluble problem for the Republicans. To have a tight connection with Trump is a disaster. To cut Trump loose is also a disaster for Republicans. They have no good direction to go here. Uh, and they're managing to, I think, grab the worst of both worlds. And the reality is they could have cut this cancer out months ago. They chose not to. Um, and they're stuck with the disease now. Yeah, not only did they, they stopped chemotherapy. They didn't just not cut it out. They like stopped treatment. Yeah, exactly. But the point is, it is better long term. If you cut Trump out, you have you have a path to heal and you have a path to replace Trump with other energy for those voters because voters like to vote. I, I don't believe that Trump is a massive generational realigning figure going forward. Trump fades out. Uh, other stuff will happen. And most of those voters, I think the great majority, can be made to uh, participate. If you embrace Trump, then you're swimming with an anchor. There's no way out, at least outside of red-based districts. What's interesting is if you were going to do that, you would have done it at the moment in which he left office. Totally. But they were afraid. The longest sort of timeline between either the 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 midterm election or the presidential election, you, you would have done that. I think one, it shows that there's just there isn't a defining view. There isn't somebody big enough in the party that can sort of pull that together. I think there are some some certainly some big major players, some of whom will try to soften Trumpism. Or B, as, as Mike has talked about, appeal to sort of white working class, non-college educated voters um, without being quite as harsh, uh, maybe not as 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 present on Twitter. I, I do feel like, you know, it is a giant hostage negotiation, whereas you said, Mike, you can't if they kick him to the curb now, they've got they may have turnout problems. If they don't kick him to the curb, they may have real voter problems. I think it's it's interesting. I said this on a, a cable hit I was doing not long after the election that I thought it would take several presidential cycles to get Donald Trump out of the Republican body politic. And I had a few friends email me or text me and say, did, did you make a mistake? Did you mean a few years or did you mean a few presidential cycles? And I said, no, no, I don't I don't think this is I don't. To, to the point on like cancer, I don't think this is going away. I don't think this is. I think this is going to certainly it's going to be here in 2024. And the question is whether or not it's here even longer than that, I think, is a real open question if you're a Republican. I think it's going to fade faster than you guys think, because I think there's a little bit of a confirmation bias in Democratic world that, you know, Santa Claus will never go away. But we're going to find out. I, I want to pivot to it. Well, we're going to bring Santa Claus back. Don't you worry about that. Mark. <laughs> we are, no. Or, or uh, uh, Mike, we're going to we're going to make sure. We're going to make sure every kid focuses every single day on Santa Claus, if that's what you want to call it. Well, the Trump. real Santa Claus is alive and well in Biden's spending plan. Bada boom, here all week. But, <laughs> but let, let's do a, we're going to do a, an exit transition on the Repubs with one more point about them and then roll over to Democratic world and what's going on there. And that is a question for Mark, because I'm obsessed with this. People forget, and I think the rover brought a little of this up last time, that there was there was plenty of Bush stole the election, you know, election partisan criticism of the other party winning with kind of a raised eyebrow, maybe something spooky was going on. But it was in a small level, nothing like the madness we've got from Trump with the steel and all that. So when you take polls of Republicans now, you find, depending on the poll, 60 to 75 percent of Republicans say, yeah, the election's illegitimate. And so Mark is somebody who's, who's had an impressive career in this world of public opinion. How much of that do you think is heartfelt and how much do you think of that as tribal loyalty? Well, that's the party line, but the private thoughts may not be be as uh, as firm on it. The idea of the election was totally illegitimate. Well, it's a really interesting question. We always debate in, in looking at these poll data whether people are cheerleading for their party right. or they really believe these things. Um, and it's hard to know. Uh, I'd say the weight of the evidence suggests that there are some people who are cheerleading, but most of them really believe it. We've seen that in other realms, for example, when Republicans all of a sudden shift from saying the economy was is great today, the day right. before the election, and then say it's terrible the day after Biden wins. Um, 
you know, we know that there's a certain number there that are just cheerleading and we can define what that number is. And it's a real but relatively small number. The other reality here, though, is when you on this particular question, uh, people have asked whether they think that's just, you know, your opinion or do you think there's solid evidence? And the vast majority, the majority of those people, 50 percent of Republicans are saying they have solid evidence in their mind that the election was stolen. So I think that, you know, most of that 70 percent that thinks the election was stolen most of that 70% of Republicans believe, really believe that that was true. And I think you see that not only in the polls, but I think you see it online. You hear it in conversations with people. They actually believe this and they will adduce reasons when you talk to them. They will adduce reasons uh, that they believe it was stolen, evidence that they think indicates it was stolen. So I think this is a real belief on the part of people. And it's very different than what happened before. You had people saying, you know, Bush stole the election, whatever. But you did not have Al Gore saying that. Exactly. That was the difference. I am not the president. George Bush is the president. And here you have Donald Trump saying, I am still supposed to be the president. It's a dramatically different situation. He said it yesterday. Ever obtained before. He said it in his statement yesterday. It's the real test of the character of a president. Hell, I'll go back to Dick Nixon in 1960 when Daley stole the election in Illinois and the Dems in, in Texas. Nixon swallowed and said, I mean, you know, swallowed his pride and said it. So this is where Trump's character thing has become a huge problem. Do you think it'll spread, by the way? You know, five years, it's now conditioned into people's thinking about politics. So if some Republican wins really closely, you think in Democratic world, I doubt we'll have another Trump there, you know, amplifying it. But you think in grassroots world, it'll be stole, 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 and that's the new reality of American politics? I, I worry about that. Well, especially with these uh, uh, voter suppression laws that we're seeing all over the country, there's going to be reasons Democrats are going to say it was stolen, perhaps Through legally, that, indirectly, but yeah. that people were prevent, prevent, improperly prevented from voting. And the fact that they were improperly prevented from voting is what led to the election of these Republicans. I think we're going to see that as early as next year. This kind of whipped around a little bit. I saw on Twitter last week where people were saying, it, you know, how important is the House midterm election? Well, that's the group that is going to certify the next, you know, or, or, or part of the basis that will certify the next presidential election. So, you know, if you start installing Republicans in 2022 and then in 2024, these are the people that are going to vote for certification. So, again, I think there's it, it is going to be interesting because the poll you mentioned, Mike, 70 percent in a CNN poll of Republicans said they didn't think that Biden had won enough votes to be president of the United States. So that, that, that to Mark's point, seems to suggest evidence, not just some random set of beliefs. And look, the dear leader told them that it was true. And Rudy Giuliani and, and his, um, you know, and his, his rock band flew around the country and did press conferences. And I, I think they were lampooned by a lot of the normal by, by kind of normal people in the media, but I think certainly Trump land heard and saw them very different. Yeah. yeah. The tribal drum code was definitely there and it's clearly stuck. Stay tuned as we pay some bills and you listen to some ads. Murphy, I have some trepidation when I ask you this question, but what interferes with your happiness? Is there something preventing you from achieving your goals? <laughs> <laughs> How long do you have, Robert? <laughs> yeah. It's been a long, hard year. But the good news is BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe, private online environment that is so very convenient. And most importantly, Murphy, you can start communicating in under 48 hours. You know, it's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And you can send a message to your counselor anytime. You will get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. All this without having to ever sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it very easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is also available. And get this, Murphy, the service is available for clients worldwide. Find the particular expertise you need online. Don't limit yourself to the counselors that are just located near you. They're licensed professional counselors who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, sleeping, trauma, 
family conflicts, grief, self-esteem, the list is almost endless. Anything you share is confidential, it's convenient, it's professional, it's affordable. Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Gibbs and I have a goal here. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, betterhealth.com slash hacks. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash hacks. Real quick, because we have to get on to the uh, perils of socialism, but the uh, this Texas law is pretty damn bad. You know, I, the Florida law is a little bit bad. It's like a DeSantis trying to cover himself to run in the Republican primaries. I'm against it, too. I'm generally for easy absentee voting everywhere, and I'm for easy early voting. But the Texas thing is pretty big. Do we think, and Mark, you hinted that you did, and I tend to agree with you, do you think net-net that these, these Republican laws in a couple of states that might actually get enacted as opposed to states where they're just dead bills. Do you think the press furor over that will actually drive turnout in a way that helps the Democrats in 2022 and have the opposite effect? Because I'm starting to think it might. Well, I, I will say that's what we've seen so far in many respects. But the reality is this, the goal, the clear and stated goal of these laws is to make it harder for people to vote. The reality is we should be removing impediments to voting, not in creating, not creating new impediments to voting. And the goal of these laws is to create new impediments to voting. So they may work, they may not, but the goal, the attempt, the, the view of the, the supporters is we want to stop people from voting who are legitimate voters. That's a terrible goal to have in a democracy. Just though terrible. it's hiding under a rubric that test well in the bumper sticker world of polling we're going to talk about when we get to infrastructure. The argument is, oh, we need to we're against voter fraud and 80 percent of the people are against voter fraud. The problem is there really isn't very much voter fraud. Well, there's two problems. One is that there isn't much, three problems. One is there isn't much voter fraud and the people that are getting caught are people who are uh, fraudulently voting for Trump. Second, um, there is uh, none of the provisions of these laws have anything to do with any of the problems that might create voter fraud. Uh, they're just designed. Well, to it's make the phobia it about absentee fraud that really is a phantom. That, that's what they're playing off of. But what does that have to do with early vote, for example? What does it have to I do agree. with drop boxes? Drop boxes. I mean, it's it's just completely irrelevant. And they're look, they're they're clear about this. They're not hiding the ball. They're saying they're trying to create impediments to people voting, and particularly impediments that affect likely Democratic voters. I mean, look at the data. The data is really now very clear. Even in this last election, African Americans had to wait more than twice as long at the polls as whites. Okay, if you want to talk about systemic racism. You want to talk about a system that's built to be to be biased against African-Americans? Why in God's name should African-Americans have to wait on average twice as long to vote as white people? It It's not right. I agree. Well, just look at a place like Texas. And I think this is important because this happened actually at the end of the last in the 2020 election. Harris County, which is where Houston is. And it has, just so we, people are clear, 2.4 million registered voters in that county. The land mass of that county is larger than Rhode Island. And the governor decided that no county in Texas could have more than one drop box. Think about that. 2.4 million registered yeah, voters yeah, in, a state, in, a, in, a, in a county bigger than Rhode Island have one drop box. And to Mark's point... It, nobody's alleging that anybody stuffed the drop boxes. Nobody's alleging that any of the drive-through voting was was mired. But they could have. They could have. In an alternate universe, they my could favorite, have. My favorite is the the DeSantis thing. Is DeSantis bragged about how great their election was? I know. I know. But you know, we're so used to that in the GOP now. The the famous right. one eighty. The party ought to no longer use the elephant as a flag uh, as a symbol. It ought to be a weather vane. Well, and, and, you know, I love the, the, the reporting that was done last week by the Washington Post that the law of unintended consequences, Republicans started to think of themselves in Florida because they've spent 20 years honing absentee ballots. Like, oh, wait a minute, this is going to make it harder for our people to vote. And then somebody in the legislature actually said, well, 
can we just exempt some of those voters? Like, can we exempt seniors from these new requirements? And then they were like, shh, don't, don't say that out loud. Cause that's you're you're saying the quiet part out loud. <laughs> we're going to put you down as undecided here. We, we have a hard <laughs> out on our, our taping cause Mark is keynoting a Spartacus league reunion up at Cambridge. Uh, so let's switch from the Republican world of Neo George Wallace to the democratic world of Neo Henry Wallace. How's that for a historical wow. nerd transition? Pretty good, <laughs> Does this right? stuff come naturally, or do you write this stuff down days in advance? Google it. It's pretty good, and probably nobody knows what you're talking about. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, uh, <laughs> I learned that working for Dennis Miller. The more obscure, the better. Big story in the Washington Post this morning, which means people are talking from the Democratic Congressional and Senate caucuses about, whoa, this tax thing. We got the head of the DTRIP, their campaign committee for Congress people leaking out that he has warned the caucus that there could be trouble in the swing seats. You you know, of course, you've got Manchin, kind of the co-president, putting a, a tamper on this. What do we think net-net after all the kabuki theater and everything is going to happen on taxes? Where do you think they're going to land? you got the farm states who don't want inheritance taxes because of family farms and businesses. you got the, the blue state donor caucus of the big, rich blue states that fund a lot of the parties screaming about the eliminating the uh, deduction that the Republicans did for local taxes. Where do you think it'll all land? What are the, let's put it this way, beyond that, the politics of it. What's the smart move for Democrats who need revenue but have to worry about these constituencies? Melman, you solve it. It's not, I want to say it's easy, but it's clear, which is to say Americans believe that big business and the wealthy in their, this country, the wealthiest people in this country, are not paying their fair share of taxes. And they believe that they should pay more in taxes. So I think we're going to see some increase in taxes on people who make over $400,000 a year. That's a pretty high number, $400,000 a year. People who make over that are going to pay a little more. And I think we're going to see big corporations paying more. Exactly how much more, exactly what form those taxes will take, uh, obviously unclear as of this moment. But at the end of the day, the public is concerned about, worried about, focused on the fact that big business and the wealthiest Americans are not paying their fair share. They think we need the money. They want to spend it on infrastructure. They want to spend it on these important projects that are being put forward. And you have to get it somewhere and they're going to get it from the people they think uh, need to pay it. That's biggest, the biggest businesses and the wealthiest Americans. Yeah. And I, I've said this uh, a couple of, on a couple different shows recently. I mean, I think it's interesting that both parties want to have an argument about taxes and both parties want to have an argument about spending. And it's unique because sometimes we have those arguments in some parts of the parties uh, or some parties are hiding from not wanting to have that argument. So I think by and large, Mark's very right. The polling is extraordinarily clear on this. Biden was extraordinarily clear on this uh, during the election. And I think um, I don't think it's something that we have to be as Democrats uh, necessarily hiding from. I, I think you're going to have this argument in a way that is is a good thing. I think if you look at Biden's overall polling numbers, you know, the AP poll that came out a couple of days ago or yesterday, had him at 63%. Um, so that's actually stronger than he was, I think, at the 100 days mark. So I, I don't I don't think the, the idea that as more people get information, this is going to get worse doesn't seem to be the case if you look at the AP polling. Now, obviously, some of the congressional district, you know, some of the marginal districts, you're going to always have nervous Nellies. But I, I don't think that uh, I, I don't think there's a lot to worry about in this sense. I think they're going to get away with some corporate tax increasing because that's, as, you know, listening to the messaging from you guys, uh, the data says that's pretty easy to do. The question for me is the personal side because in, in you know, in blue, fairly wealthy districts, um, particularly in the cities, you get into the problem of cap gains on house sales. You know, you've had a house a long time, you retire, you get over a million in gains. Under at least the Biden proposal, you get walloped. I think that is a political vulnerability. Uh, and I think, the you know, we're see on the income, plus 400, we know tests well. We're see if they get into the actual committees. I mean, and finally, what would you guys do about STEM, which is the state and local deduction the Republicans took away? Do you put it back? Because here's the— re- uh, salt. salt, yeah. Here's the ad the Republicans want to run. 75 percent— of that tax cut goes to millionaires. Right. So let let me go back to your point, if I can, for a second. Look, while I said, as I said, the reality is people want big business and the wealthiest Americans to pay more taxes. The problems we have, and it goes to a point Robert made, the problem we have is that when we've had these debates in the past, 
people haven't heard the over $400,000. They hear raise taxes, but they don't hear only on people that make more than $400,000. Part of the reason for that is we've been shy about the debate and we haven't really gone out and talked about it. If you go out and talk about it enough, people end up hearing not just the raise taxes, but also only on people making over 400,000. So both those elements have to be part of the message. And we have to make it really clear that it is a restricted and very wealthy group of people that are paying more taxes. The SALT thing is has uh, very significant repercussions in some particular places. I think the people who represent those places are going to be very determined uh, to make sure that their that their folks are protected. And my guess is there will be some compromise on SALT. There is a, a final tax bill. Yeah, that's what I would guess too. I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll go. We don't think we'll go back to the old days where you can deduct all of it. But I definitely, my guess is they'll raise the cap above $10,000. Uh, and I don't think, to your point, Murphy, that I don't think Republicans talking about tax cuts uh, unnecessarily impacting the wealthy is going to be a particularly persuasive message coming from somebody who probably will just have finished uh, a sentence about the fact that it's terrible that they're, they're, they're doing exactly uh, what this seeks not to do. I don't know. I think you can be adroit about it, but uh, I'll say as an American citizen, I hope such cynicism doesn't take over the tax writing bill. As a California resident, yeah, I'll take the money uh, on the on the salt thing. And thank you for correcting me. I said stem. I meant salt. Right. Salt. Salt. I, I had a board thing of the, I'm on the board of the National Public Charter School, so, and we talk about STEM. So uh, my brain was scrambled. Just like I had gotten through this whole podcast without saying Mary Cheney instead of Liz Cheney, which is taking <laughs> incredible mental discipline for me since Mary's an old friend. Let's take a minute to do an ad, and we'll be right back. Wow, this quarantine has gone on forever. We're finally seeing light at the end of the tunnel. And looking back, I think of all the online purchases I made. The late night pizza delivery followed by the other late night pizza delivery, the succulent trios, the online trainer you ghosted after. Well, no, no, I I haven't ghosted my trainer, but we get the point. Then there's one of your biggest purchases of the year, one of your most important, insurance. Did you know Americans overspend on car and home insurance by billions every year? That's money that could have been spent on more, well, retail therapy. So this is why our sponsor, The Zebra, can help you. Now, I know you're thinking striped horse, but get the details here, because The Zebra is the nation's leading insurance comparison site for car and home insurance. You can shop in minutes. You can compare policies from every major provider for free, all on one independent marketplace. After a few quick questions, the Zebra pairs people with the right insurance company for them, helping everyone save time and money by online or over the phone with one of their licensed insurance agents. There are no hidden fees or fine print about your personal information. And best of all, the Zebra has no stake in the policy you choose. They're just there to find the coverage that's right for you. Make insurance your smartest purchase yet. Visit thezebra.com slash hacks. That's the zebra, T H E Z E B R A dot com slash hacks. It pays to shop around. But let me go back to this tax thing for a minute. Mark, you have a good historical view because you and I both started out around the same time and opposite sides back in the early 80s. And what the play has always been in the past is the Democrats say we want targeted tax increases on the following list of people that we know from polling you hate. Millionaires, left-handed tobacco merchants, arms dealers, criminals. You know, they they construct a tax with all these holes so nobody should get mad. And the Republicans respond by screaming, $8 billion tax increase. And as you say, we never get into the fact that it's only for millionaires who, you know, uh, are mean to dogs and kittens. And generally, then we have this big, then the whole debate in the election becomes taxes, and we tend to outshout the big number, and the details tend to get lost. Partially, I agree with you because Democrats are a little timid. Why are we debating taxes every goddamn day? Let's switch over to Social Security, Education, Medicare, something else. Do you think this time it will be different, or it's hard to teach the party new tricks and the Republicans who will be screaming billions, largest in history, worst ever? 
you know, will the Democrats want to go fight on a traditionally Republican issue trying to carve that out or will they be too scared to do it like they have been in the past, at least do it enough to win? Look, I think there is a real risk here on the one hand. On the other hand, I think that the Democrats can mitigate the risk and I think will mitigate the risk. I think that uh, President Biden is very committed to making it clear uh, that this is a tax increase only on big business and the wealthiest people in the country, the over $400,000. I think he gets the importance of that. I think the White House as a whole gets the importance of that. I think the Congress understands it. Uh, I think you'll see a very different kind of debate, a very different kind of messaging this time around uh, than we have in the past. But there's no question in the past we've gotten screwed on this because we haven't been able to make our case and people have only heard part of the part of the case. Uh, I, I think this administration, I think this Congress will be much more adept at making the case. Except for salt, which is a huge tax uh, cut for the rich. I'm sorry. I just can't resist sounding like a Democrat on that. We love that you're sounding like a Democrat. We, we, but I would say two, two, quick, <laughs> points, two quick points on, on, on what Mark said. First, um, Mark updated his polling memo, and we've actually added right-handed tobacco merchants to the bad people. <laughs> okay. All uh, right. There's Murphy, another billion. So, so if you're even ambidextrous tobacco merchants, <laughs> we think uh, are, are not good. Uh, but I, I would think, you know, to your point, um, Mike, we we have this we have this challenge of being, of, of, and people say like, oh, you can't put your slogan on a bumper sticker because we'll say, well, you need a targeted tax cut for college affordability, but and all of a sudden it's it's we're into like the three hundred word explanation. I would say I think we've gotten a lot better at it. Right, tax the rich fits on a very small bumper sticker. Right, tax corporations, you don't need a. I don't even need a Mike Murphy size bumper to put that that bumper sticker and and it's easily understandable and I think when you know we had a national campaign about it I mean again everybody wants to have that debate and and Donald Trump stood up in in front of America repeatedly and said if we do what Joe Biden does the whole economy will collapse and crumble boy you'll really miss me and it wasn't compelling enough to pull him into the White House for a second term do you think there's power left in the spending issue? I, I know the first point is always, oh, Republicans are hypocrites under Trump. They spent trillions. They didn't care. All true. But going forward, this proposed $6 trillion, that's one and a half times the cost of World War II, as I love to say, that's a big number. I think that'll be relevant in the elections. I, I think the spending issue may be ready for a comeback. And on the Republican playbook, they love to put tax and spend together and both elements are there or do you think the spending issue is done forever because you know we're at six percent unemployment which is not optimal but it's not the great depression at 25 percent unemployment um is is the argument that they were spending too much to solve a problem it could trigger inflation which is a word you see in the papers a lot more now than you did two months ago what 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 do you think start with mark politically the the whole republican spending argument will do in the midterms nothing or there's there's danger there for the D's. Look, the, the first point is reality. What happens in reality? Um, if there is big inflation as a result of this, I think Democrats will pay a price. If there isn't, I think the price is, is much smaller, if any. Um, the reality is we have to make sure people are focused on what that money's buying. If we have a debate over whether we should spend $2 trillion here or not $2 trillion there, um, that's not a good debate for us. But if we can make clear what we're buying with that money, that we're doing the important things that people want to do, um, building bridges and roads and, and transportation systems and so on, that if people modernizing electric grids, uh, preparing for electric vehicles, I mean, all the things that people want to do, if we can make it clear what we're buying with that money, uh, I think it's a pretty easy case for us to make. If we get trapped into just talking numbers, we're, we're yeah. going to be in trouble. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think this is where, this is where, again, this is the, the challenge that, that Democrats have normally had is that we, we won't, we'll talk about big things, but we won't get into, um, making it met better and more understandable for people. Plus, I, 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 but I will say this, Murphy, do I think right after Republicans talk about tax cuts for millionaires through salt, are they going to all of a sudden become huge deficit hawks again? Sure. I mean, or do, you know, we're, we're, we understand that, that, that Republicans after, I mean, the, Eight trillion or seven and a half trillion that Donald Trump added to the deficit or the, the national debt. I think Democrats are ready for Republicans to become deficit hawks all over again. All of a sudden, they're concerned. Look, you're going to even see this. I'm going to get into it. You're going to see this in raising the debt limit. Uh, we're back to that, you know, like yeah. just when you thought it was in 2010 again, it's 2010 again. 
Yeah, I just think in the midterms in a competitive congressional, the backward argument, you know, a year and a half ago, Republicans is 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 not particularly strong. It, it's I think I'm with Mark. It's selling the steak, not yeah, the price definitely. of the entree. Definitely. Uh, and that'll be the jump ball fight. That and defining the taxes. Who do they go to? Do they go to you? And does the tax cut go to millionaires? There's a good 30-second spot that'll be shameless, but I think effective there. But anyway, let me ask another polling question here as our, our clock winds down. You know, we're seeing a lot of polling on the infrastructure plan. People love roads and bridges. Every time the president talks about it, it's roads and bridges. Now, that's 5% of the spending if you narrowly define roads and bridges. What do you think, Mark, as a pollster, when you have these big 70, 80 numbers at start, and then the second and third waves of information show up? Yeah, but did you know they're spending the same amount on, you know, uh, research grants to historically black colleges and universities that can also compete for lots of other grants as they are on airports? You know, hmm, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like a fair equity, et cetera, et cetera. As people chip away at these things, how do you know under attack and the second and third look, what do you look for in the first number to think it can withstand all that? You want to be in the 80s, 70s? I mean, kind of how do you explain to clients how you have to, you know, handle the second and third levels of, of hostile information? Well, the reality is it depends on what that hostile information is. It, whether you're 90% or 70%, uh, you can be undone by bad information. And we've seen this in initiative campaigns. I yeah, mean, I'm, that's what it makes me think of. You know, where, where you start out at 90% support for an idea, and by the time you get to election day, you lost because people find a way to undo the, the positive features that people see in the in the proposal to begin with. So uh, we have to be very careful to make sure that our message is good, but also that our facts are good, that we're not just larding it up with uh, a bunch of uh, a pork barrel, if you will. Though, again, I think people are all in favor of grants to historically back colleges and universities. In this environment, that's a very, very positive thing for most people. And I think all the things that we've heard about this bill so far are things that are very popular. We do have to be wary about what else may be there, but that's a fact issue. That's something that we have to deal with in terms of the, the proposal itself and make sure that it's as clean as possible. You know, my instinct is that Manchin's going to turn it into about half the size, all bridges and, and infrastructure, water pipes, all that kind of stuff, maybe some electric charging stations, new power grid, and get some Republican votes. And that politically, I think, would be very good for the Biden guys if they can they can get that deal. And I think there's a chance of it rather than trying to ramp through $2 billion, excuse me, $2 trillion and be open to a lot of that kind of chip away stuff. See, no one even knows the difference between billion and trillion. <laughs> well, that, uh, that'll be when we're, when we're using currency to heat our houses. Uh, <laughs> we can all thank the great American voter for that one. That's the real inflation I was talking about. It is a danger. We're hitting the wall here. So, Mark, I think we're going to have to – the comrades are waiting. And so you're going to have to get off the old uh, connection here, and we're, we're, uh, we're saving an extra question for you next time. But thank you okay. so much. Always good to have you, Mark. Pleasure to be with you. Don't be late for your uh, turmeric class. Plug your stuff before you go. You got a you got a column in the the Hill newspaper. You got a Twitter feed. Yes, I've got a Twitter feed at Mark Melman. I've got a column in the Hill. It appears every week on Wednesday. Hope people uh, follow and read. Yeah, if you're interested in the statistical variances of standard deviation, Mark's column is must-read. He <laughs> always goes for the titillating, cheap uh, topics like that, but it is a must-read column about politics. We go for the capillary. <laughs> yeah, keep a watch out for the uh, the, the updated memo on the right-handed tobacco merchants. We're, you, we're, you guys are going for them. All right, Mark, thank you so much. Thank you. Let's go to the mailbag. Okay, mailbaggers, we had some great questions. So if you have a question, join the Great Question Parade. Send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com. Hacksontap at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. There are links where you could do that because we're always shamefully on the hunt for new listeners. All right. We had so many great questions that we're going to do. We're going to try out a new thing here. Double Speed Jeopardy. Each of us will get two questions and we'll answer them hopefully briskly. That'll be a challenge for us, but we're going to try. So first, Double Jeopardy 2 for Mr. Robert Gibbs. Number one deals with a hot race happening right now. It's from Jason. What is your analysis of the New York City mayoral primary? Why is Andrew Yang doing so well, and where is his support coming from? What are the dynamics at play in this race? 
It is a great question. I will not do it all the justice it deserves uh, with a quick answer, but I will say it is a fascinating race. News today that the New York Times uh, endorsed Catherine Garcia, um, sort of a longer shot, um, but we'll see the weight of the New York Times in this race. You have, as mentioned, Andrew Yang, who I think has surprised some people with his staying power. I think he started out with higher name ID because he'd run for president. But you also have uh, lots of other candidates. Eric Adams uh, has been um, is a is a pretty popular candidate. You've got um, Scott Stringer, who had some momentum and then has run into sexual harassment allegations. So I think this is not yet fully formed. And you see a lot of reporting coming too on Andrew Yang and and looking into his background and kind of fo- more fully vetting him. So I, like you, Murphy, I know, believe this is a race that, like many of these races, will break late. Uh, so I think there's a lot of twists and turns left in this race. And I would expect that we will not have a great and clear picture until toward the very end. But I think people have been impressed by Andrew Yang's staying power. Totally agree. Keep an eye on Adams. Number two for you from Joe. When will GOP politicians adjust their messaging to protect their constituents from COVID and encourage them to get the vaccine? Uh, it's a great question, and I wish more were doing it. I wish... Um, I wish many things about Donald Trump, but I wish he'd gotten his vaccine publicly, acknowledged it at the same time, and and shown uh, folks that he had gotten it, because I think that could be very powerful. I think to give credit to some Republicans, you have seen um, Republicans um, who who have talked about getting the vaccine, who have talked about the idea of opening once we get the vaccine or opening more once we get the vaccine. Not nearly enough. And I would say There are people that are both vaccine hesitant and there's a group that is vaccine resistant. If you are listening and you know anybody in that group, um, have a conversation with them. Don't have um, don't accuse them. Don't yell at them. Don't admonish them. Have a conversation with them about why you think it's important and see if you can't introduce them to folks like I wish more Republicans were doing doctors and nurses who can who can really cut through and tell people why it's so important that they get vaccinated and the benefits, not just to them, but to the ability to leave their mask at home and to become normal again. Hopefully that will be coming sooner rather than later. Absolutely. I mean, how the hell can you vote MAGA if you're on a ventilator? Murphy, a couple of questions for you in our speed round today. Ready? Okay. Yep. Allison, please start the clock. Jordan asks, what is Liz Cheney's endgame? Do you think she's running for president in 2024? And if she does, can she win? Go. I think she's fighting for freedom. I think she has to win her primary. And if she can, she can go back to the caucus and say, see, she then has the imperture of the voters and she'll raise hell on the right side of this equation. Running for president, real uphill for her. But who knows? She wins the big primary and comes roaring back. And she's right about the midterms. Ah, She's a credible candidate. You heard it here first. Mike Murphy's slogan for Liz Cheney, fighting for freedom. <laughs> second question. You did so well in the first one. We we're going to ask you a second one. All right. I'm ready. This is from Kevin. What are Caitlyn Jenner's chances in a California recall election? And what are Matthew McConaughey's in a potential primary or general election against Greg Abbott? Go. Two great questions in almost no time. All right, number one, her chances, Caitlyn Jenner's, are very small. Why? California's become even more of a blue partisan state, and the one thing you don't want to do in a recall, I worked for Arnold in 2003, I've been to this movie, is you don't want to make it a partisan test. That'll make them forgive Gavin and vote blue. Caitlyn Jenner is hiring all these Trump parscale types to run a big direct mail campaign, or I should really say low-dollar internet fundraising campaign. It'll make them rich, but it'll brand her Trump that's death in California. I think D-O-A. They're also not as mad at, at Gavin as they are or were at Gray Davis, the guy we beat with Arnold. Finally, there's another candidate, Kevin Falconer, who was the mayor of San Diego and is the kind of Republican who could win, but Jenner's taken the spotlight and taken away what little chance he had. Maybe it'll heat up, but I think this is going to run on a partisan axis and that will defeat 
Caitlyn Jenner, the word Trump should never be near her. Instead, she's embracing it. Big, deadly mistake. And again, hard to beat Gavin. It's just tougher terrain now, and he's not in as much trouble. As vaccination shots are done, too, he gets stronger, not weaker. Now, McConaughey in Texas, he's having a real spike now because he's not part of politics. He's a popular, charismatic guy. They don't like Governor Abbott. They know the Democrats there are dangerously progressive for Texas. So there's this moment. The problem is, what is McConaughey's answer to the real questions now that he's doing well in the polling? Because saying kind of we all got to be together and Texas is good and boy, I hate you know, bad stuff. That that'll that'll get you in the race. It won't finish it for you. So I believe he's peaking now, and I believe uh, the second, third, and fourth waves of this are going to be very hard for him unless he's incredibly adroit. And we're going to have to wait and see. But he's going to have to turn into a politician to survive a political campaign. There may be other candidates coming. Texas is an interesting place to run an independent candidacy. So by all means, stay tuned. I would just add, I thought it was brilliant. Murphy, to have Sarah Palin get Caitlyn Jenner ready for media interviews by having sticking in that great anecdote about what it's like when your hangar buddy where your private plane is parked, it gets packed up because he's just had enough with California. I mean, a brilliant way to reach real at-risk voters. And I would say, Murphy, only you could be against, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, the Jenner campaign is basically a fundraising scam by these former Trump people masquerading as a dead-on-arrival political campaign in California. It's a tragedy. Falconer's the one to watch, and it's a long shot by all means for him. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, uh, my friends are leaving California. My hangar, the guy right across, he was packing up his hangar saying he's moving to Sedona. He just can't take it anymore. God, I hate it when I have well, to— Well, I'm moving my mega yacht out, too, so they got my vote. That'll, right, that'll I better pack up right my over. hangar. Hard to find a 200-foot dock. Okay. Well, thank you, Hacker Roos, for tuning in. Gibbs, thank you. Best Murphy, it's business. always fun. It's always it fun. All right. So that'll wrap us up. We will be back with another Hacks on Tap next week. Until next week, Hacker Roos, be good. Be good.